0: Good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor John here at Heights Christian Church. And as you have already heard, the motto of this church is to love God, love God's people, and love serving God. So to the people on YouTube, since I've been doing this all week, and it's kind of ingrained in me to, to continue on, we as a church, as a congregation, are going through the Scripture in five years. We are in year five. And if you follow us on YouTube, please subscribe. And smash that notification icon so you can see us every day. (laughs) And that goes especially for those of you in the congregation who are moving across country. We still want to minister to you. We are available to you wherever you go. Okay. So every year Pastor Mark issues a challenge and to himself and extends it to the rest of the congregation to read a certain amount of books per year. And he encourages us to do that. So if you've been following along as we've been surging through year five of our five-year commitment to read the Scripture, we have already read nine books this year. Obadiah has 21 verses, but we're going to take the win and call it number nine. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. We are moving right along. And Pastor Mark does this because one, reading is enjoyable. It's informative. It can take our minds to different places if we, uh, if we read it, um, depending on what we're reading. It keeps us off of social media. It keeps us away from the liars on the news, if you watch the news. And it keeps us away from stressful things like politics. Unless you're reading political reviews, in which I suggest you change your, your reading habits. And it's cheaper than a gallon of gas. Is that political? <laughs> All right. So today we're going to look at the minor prophets of Obadiah, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. Uh, if you got a chance to read them this week, that was books number 7, 8, and 9 for the year. Uh, We'll have an opportunity, as you know, uh, I go through a lot of scripture, God's word does not come back void, and we are here to learn, not only about God's word and the history of of God's people, but also how to apply it in our lives. So I hope you got a chance to read all three of them, because if you didn't, well, we'll get most of it. But there's a central theme in all three of them. So how many of you have been reading the book of Revelation? Several here. Probably the reason for that is because of the wars and rumors of wars that we hear about and we want to see what's going on in the future. I can tell you that God is in control no matter what is going on. There's no better time to realize that and understand that than when you understand that you have no control over anything. We have no control over what happened overseas. Sometimes we have no control over what our neighbors do or other people. So, Obadiah, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah lived in uncertain times as well. But rather than going to scriptures to find out what to do next, God spoke to them directly. That might seem scary, but it's kind of awesome when it happens to you. That God tells you, hey, go this direction. Go that direction. So the name Obadiah means servant of the Lord. Habakkuk means he that embraces or is embraced. And Zephaniah means hidden by God. Some commentaries list that Obadiah was written around 587 to 586 B.C. However... There are others that uh, say that it was written about 850 B.C., give or take a few years. And the reason I bring that up is because the events that took place in Obadiah seems to have happened at the fall of Judah in 587-586 B.C. So it's like 260 years after Obadiah had his prophecy that it came true. Revelation is an example of that, and it was written... Over 1900 years ago. And it has yet to come to pass. There's scary stuff in there. But we read prophecy for a reason. And one that's to understand the character of God. And to understand. What he wants us to do. During these uncertain times. Now. Habakkuk. Now, there's no other clues about Obadiah, about when he was written, except what's in the Scripture itself. There's nothing else there. But Habakkuk is believed to have been written around 609 to 597 B.C. So these times of these things happening are correlating with each other. And Zephaniah is known to have lived because he gave us plenty of clues as to when he lived. Uh, From 640, uh, during the reign of Josiah from 640 to 609 B.C. So they were, uh, two of them were known to be around the same time, to be alive at the same time. Obadiah has three parts, the coming judgment, the reason for the judgment, and the triumph of Israel. Or as we can put it in today's context, the triumph of God's people. And notice that the triumph of Israel is as a whole nation. Not the triumph of Judah, not the, uh, the southern kingdom, not the triumph of Israel, the northern kingdom, but the, the triumph of the entire group of people of Israel. So, in Habakkuk, we see the prophet lamenting to God and the replies from God. He complains of the violence perpetrated upon God's people and God lets Habakkuk know that those who have come against them will be dealt with harshly. Keep that in mind. Now, Zephaniah is the only one it gives us certain facts about the period of time in which he lived. He also gets very specific about the nations in which God is going to punish. First mentioned in chapter one is Judah itself. Judah is bowing down to other gods, especially Moloch, which is violation of God, covenant that they had with Yahweh. Next in chapter 2, Zephaniah mentions Philistia, Moab, Ammon, Cush, and Assyria. And they are doomed for their actions against the children of God. So let's take a look at Pastor Mark's favorite thing, a map. Yay! So as we see here, this right here is Philistia. As mentioned in, I believe it's uh, Zephaniah, Philistia is mentioned with Gaza which is down in this area here. Ashkelon, which is up here. There's Ashdot here. Ekron is over in this area somewhere. Uh, the kerathites are in this area. I don't think they actually had a nation. Um, and, of course, that area is Canaan. Now, down here at the bottom in the yellow is Edom. Here is in the purple is uh, Moab. Up here in the orange is Amman. Up here is Assyria. Here is Israel. And down here is Judah. Kind of awesome to know where they're all at in correlation with each other. Jerusalem was surrounded by a lot of nations that hated them. Now that you know where they're located, let's move on to Obadiah. So turn with me to Obadiah, chapter 1. We'll read the first 16 verses. Well, it's only one chapter, but we'll read the first 16 verses of Obadiah. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us, let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high. Who, you who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. If thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you would be cut off. Would you not have stolen? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If grape gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Oh, how Esau shall be searched, searched out. How his hidden treasure shall be sought after. All the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau? Then your mighty men, O Taman, shall be dismayed to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you. Now we're in the reason to why they are being punished. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. But you should not have gazed on that day of your brother in the day of his captivity. Nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed you should not have gazed upon their affliction in the day of their calamity. Nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among who, among them who escaped. Nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is upon all the nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. For as you drank on my holy mountain, you shall... So shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. That's a rough read. But understand this, that God is angry. He's angry that Esau, the children of Esau, called Edom, have turned against their own kinfolk, That's not a good thing, especially against God's chosen people. I believe there was some jealousy there. They were angry that they weren't chosen. They were angry at what happened with Jacob and Esau way back many, 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 many moons ago. Obadiah's description is not good for Edom. Keep this in mind as we look to Habakkuk. And Habakkuk makes his first complaint to God, and we'll start in Habakkuk. 1, and verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and you will not hear? Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless. The justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. And therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. Habakkuk just told God that his law was useless against them. So, God's going to respond. In verse 5 Look among the nations and watch and be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your day which you would not believe though it were told to you. For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. The Lord is utilizing the violent nature of the Chaldeans or Babylonians to do his will and to enact judgment on those who torture God's people. After the Lord explains this why they will be used, Habakkuk voices his concerns again. One particular verse has a lot of strength in it as he questions what God is going to do. Skip down to Habakkuk 1:13. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? That's a brave man. Habakkuk finishes his questioning of God in Habakkuk 2 verse 1. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me And what I will answer when I am corrected. Did y'all catch that last word? Habakkuk expects to be corrected. He has wrong thinking. He understands that. But he's trying to comprehend what is going on and why God is allowing things to happen. And Habakkuk wants to stand by and wait for God's word so that God can correct his thinking. So that he can comprehend what is going on. And we'll continue. Habakkuk 2, verse 2. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. But the just shall live by his faith. After that, we continue on in Habakkuk 2. And the Lord gives five woes. So we'll be skipping through several verses. But he gives five woes in this chapter. And briefly they are, we'll go to Habakkuk 2.6. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion? How long must this go on? Now we're going to skip down to verse 9. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. Verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. Verse 15. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor pressing him to your bottle even to make him drunk that you may look on his nakedness. And verse 19. Woe to him who says to wood awake to silent stone arise it shall teach. Behold it is overlaid with gold and silver yet there is no breath at all. Any of these woes remind you of things going on today? Human nature has not changed. Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new under the sun. The only thing new right now, other than a few thousand years ago, we get our news almost instantly of everything going on around the world. And it worries us. These five woes, God is showing Habakkuk that he sees what is going on. And the evil that is there. Zephaniah we read not only was God going to punish Judah, but Philistia, which includes Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron, the Carathites, and Canaan, along with Moab, Ammon, Cush, and Assyria. That's not a small list, but as we saw on the map a while ago, they surrounded Jerusalem. They surrounded Judah, they surrounded Israel as a whole. So, with all the punishments going on, what's the upside to this? After Zephaniah tells Judah what to expect in chapter 1, he gives them guidance beginning in chapter 2. So, we'll go to chapter 2 of Zephaniah, verses 1 through 3. And in your Bible, it's right after Habakkuk. Gather together. Gather yourselves together, you shameful nation, before the decree takes effect and that day passes like wind-blown chaff. Before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land. You who do what he commands, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you shall be sheltered in the day of the Lord's anger. They're being called to repent. To change their ways. One of the things we see in our prophets is that they are constantly telling people to repent. Punishment is coming, but you need to repent. Now let's go back through these books and the final outcome of what Israel does, what happens to Israel. We'll go back to Obadiah and we'll read verse 17. But on the Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy, and Jacob will possess his inheritance. I want you all to catch that right there. Jacob will possess his inheritance. This is a prophecy that Israel, which at that time is a divided nation, will come back together as a whole nation. And Jacob, as a whole nation, will possess the inheritance that God has promised them through the covenant. They will go back to the promised land. Let's go to Habakkuk 3, verses 13 through 16. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness, and you stripped him from head to foot. With your own spear you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour wretched who were in hiding you trampled the sea with your horses churning the great waters I heard and my heart pounded my lips quivered at the sound decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us Habakkuk was shaken to his core he describes here the anxieties and the fear that he has bad things are happening. Yet we continue on in verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in gl- in God my savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength; he makes my feet like the feet of a deer; he enables me to tread on heights. For the this is for director of music on stringed instruments. That last verse or that the last sentence is there. That lets you know that during chapter 3, Habakkuk was singing a prayer to God. It's a beautiful thing. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. We're able to move. Zephaniah in chapter 2 states the destruction of Philistia, Moab, Ammon, and the remnants of the house of Judah. His people will inherit the land. I don't know if y'all caught that. The remnants. It's not saying all of Judah, all the people that are there. It's saying the remnants, those that are left. They will have lips that are purified. They will be meek and humble. Trusting in the name of Yahweh and doing no wrong. Speaking no lies. Having no deceit. They will eat and lie down peacefully at night without fear. That is our hope for today. We'll continue on in Zephaniah chapter 3. We're going through verses 14 through 20. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout out loud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishments. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you, in his love. He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and reproach for you. At the time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles." I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. So, If you listen carefully, I think, this is me, I think that this is yet to come. Mainly because in verse twenty it says, "I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth." I do not believe that has happened yet for the people of of uh, Israel. It's certainly not happened with Christians. Not every person sees Israel in a good light. We are watching prophecy being fulfilled right before our very eyes. God has gathered His people home. What other nation? has been spread out for over 1,900 years, has come back and still be a nation speaking the same language they did thousands of years ago. Think on that. Scripture tells us to be courageous and not afraid. Deuteronomy 31.6 states this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is with you, goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Statements reiterated in Hebrews 13, 5, and 6. If you want to turn there. So let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. It is because God will never leave us nor forsake us that we can say without fear things that are going on in this world today. We put our faith in Christ and we have no fear about what's going on. Many times this is easier said than actually done. As someone who suffers from anxiety and PTSD, I can tell you that sometimes it gets the better of me. However, I am way, 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 way better than I was years ago if you want to know how that happened it is through Christ and a relationship with him that I find peace and this peace is given to me by the Holy Spirit so I was saying the other day it says whatever is good for your soul do more of that prayer studying scriptures and spending time in fellowship with other believers because iron sharpens iron That's good for my soul. I would venture to say that it's good for yours as well. We have read many examples of how great God is towards his people. We may receive discipline, but it is done in love. We may suffer afflictions, but God uses it for his glory. We may be chastised by the world for believing in Jesus Christ, but Jesus says in John 16, 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Do you all know the rest of it? I have overcome the world. Our Savior that we follow has overcome this world. As evil as it is, as bad as things are going, we look to Christ and we follow him. We may end up losing our lives for our beliefs. But Paul says this in Philippians 1.21. To live is Christ, to die is gain. As long as we are alive here on earth, we are to follow Christ. We are to preach Christ. We are to teach the gospel. We are to disciple people to come to Christ. So that when we go to heaven, we are not alone. We won't be. But we want to bring as many people with us as we can. Living here on earth is an honor sometimes we don't uh, appreciate. Christ calls us to go out in the Great Commission to disciple others. That's what we here at Heights do. When we love God and we love God's people, when we love God's people, we want to make as many people out there part of God's people and then we love serving God by going out and discipling others if you don't have that assurance you can come see me either one of the pastors, any of the elders after the service and we will show you how to get there so as we look around the world today we watch the news, we read the news we discuss things with other people It can be easy to get discouraged over these wars and rumors of wars. These three prophetic books show over and over again that God is in control. A.W. Tozer stated, while it looks like things are out of control, behind the scenes there is a God who hasn't surrendered control. God has not surrendered his authority, but he solidified it through his Son. After his death, burial, and resurrection for the sins of everybody who ever lived, past, present, and future, Christ tells us that he was given this authority in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen, when he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Earlier we saw that Habakkuk had a little bit of fear and anxiety over the coming day of the Lord. And yet, he rejoiced. These are examples of what we need to do. As someone who has anxieties and fear over situations that are beyond my control, I cling to one of my favorite passages in Scripture. If you Turn with me to Philippians 4, 4 through 7. It's one of my favorites. I've used it over and over and over again and over again. And I'll probably use it again because it's how I do. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful verse. It's a beautiful passage. It's where it was scary at times. It's getting worse by the day. But God is always with us. Christ died for our sins so that we could become the righteousness of God through him. And the Holy Spirit, our helper, guides our lives, convicting us when we sin and gently guiding us back into right relationship. We will be wronged in this life but we are told to let God handle it. And in Romans 12, 19, 12, 19, we read, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place of wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Throughout the three books, we see that God's discipline will be on the guilty as he sees fit. So we don't need to worry about it. Seeking revenge will damage our peace. And I say this for a reason. With the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, I want you all to understand that the standard, every day, normal citizen, in every single country of this world, just wants to live life in peace. And it's the politicians who seek to destroy it. That's me saying it, that's not the Lord the more i get of a certain vintage the more i see things and the more i realize that it's not us in here that cause wars but there's one war we can rage and that's against the devil when we go out and we fulfill that great commission and we tell others about christ because every time someone comes to christ he loses he's going to lose in the end but as i said earlier i want to take as many of people with me as i can do not seek vengeance against anyone who has no control over what's going on i've seen this in the news people of russian immigration descent either them themselves or others who are whose ancestors were from russia are being chastised we saw this years ago with The coronavirus, when it first came out, they were hitting people with Asian backgrounds. That's not what we're called to do. They had no control over that. We are called to love them. We are called to minister to them. And we are called to bring them to Christ. They are innocent of the actions of their leaders. Our jobs as Christians is to pray for them all. Pray for our leaders to make the right decisions. We pray for their leaders to make the right decisions we pray for the safety of those who are caught in the crossfire before we close I want to reiterate one thing from Habakkuk that's chapter 2 verse 3 for the revelation awaits an appointed time it speaks of the end and will not prove false though it linger wait for it It will certainly come and will not delay. God's wrath is coming. But it's in His timing that we must wait. Rest assured, when it comes, it will be swift. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye. And if you blink, you will miss it. You'll see the aftermath. Waiting for it is like waiting for Christmas. Waiting for Christ to come is like waiting for Christmas, right? We're excited, except this time we know what the gift is. We used to, I used to anyway, used to go to on um, two days before Christmas be like, hey, can can I open up a gift now? Nope, got to wait till tomorrow. And if we were good, we got to open one gift on Christmas Eve. We were excited, but it was right before bed, so whatever we opened, we couldn't play with. We had to go to bed. Then we blinked a rather long blink, sometimes eight, ten hours, sometimes three minutes, because we were like, is it Christmas yet? We were excited. Then we got to open our presents on Christmas morning. This is how we as Christians should be. We're excited because we know that Christ is coming. We're excited because we know what's going to happen in the end and we should be so excited that we tell others about it let me tell you about an exciting thing Christ loves you Jesus loves you God loves you the Holy Spirit will help you through this life I want you all to understand that that God is great and what I say up here is not near as great as God is because I am limited by my human mind but God is fantastic there's an old hymn called How Great Thou Art it's a beautiful hymn and I ask you to listen to it let's go ahead and stand our most gracious heavenly father we thank you for the prophets both minor and major who gave us a glimpse into your character as a just God who disciplines those he loves as well as protecting us from those who seek us harm. Lord, we ask that you will help us to find opportunities to give the gospel to those who are lost and hurting in this world. To those who desperately need the hope that you bring. To be bold in doing it so that they can be giddy with excitement of your love. As well as being able to tell others about the love that you have for them as well we pray for peace we pray for revival not only in our land but all over the world we ask for healing for our land and for the people in it and we pray for protection for those caught in the crossfire and that all can see your majesty free father we ask that you will guide our steps this week grant us peace and give us strength to do your will in our lives Help us to always remember how truly great you are. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.